This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is contacttalkradio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on tunein.com, ying.fm, and upsnap mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, actually 175 countries, 220 TV, radio, terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest. So who is my guest of today? Well, what I can tell you about author Chad David, he has three master's degrees because he makes bad life choices, minus marrying his wife, so he says. He writes a weekly blog, www.chaddavid.ca, because he really is that cool, and helps him grow as a psychotherapist and to become a better person. So we're going to be talking a bit about his book. His book is titled The Happy Squire, Christmas Stories to Encourage and Inspire. This book is a collection of the greatest Christmas stories ever published, at least by this author, with something for everyone and a lesson in every story. This book is a perfect for personal enjoyment or reading aloud to groups of people trying to create a Christmassy hour. Ranging from stories about why Santa gives coal to the struggle of being the son of the Norwal who saved Christmas to facing the pressure of making the perfect Christmas, Chad takes storytelling to the next level in this encouraging and inspiring book. On top of this, the forward adds a unique dimension to the book as Rita Carey, last week's guest, shares personal Christmas stories and insights, giving readers a glimpse of what it was like growing up in the Carey household, as in the Jim Carey household. Welcome to the show, my friend. How are you, Chad? Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's lovely to have you here, too. And in fact, it worked out perfectly because although I was supposed to be simultaneously interviewing both of you last week, this now offers the opportunity to give additional exposure on what is a fantastic book. And I want to delve into a little bit about the book. Let's talk a little bit about that first, what the inception of the journey was, what the concept was, and and why this genre, this theme specifically, Chad? 
Yeah, that <laughs> that's a lot to answer. I love it. Um, what's amazing, uh, it, it, you having this second interview, it really does show how good things can come out of unfortunate situations, especially when people are open-minded and generous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you for that great lesson. Uh, the, the book itself... Ha- was definitely um, a work in progress for quite some time. Uh, I originally learned the power of short stories uh, about 14 years ago. I was at a weekend conference, it was a leadership thing, and there were some fantastic speakers like Tony Campolo. And, uh, you know, you leave, you're inspired, you're like, yeah, I learned so much. And then, you know, a, a year later, you remember nothing. <laughs> Except 14 years later, the one speaker read a story that he wrote with his 11-year-old son about an eagle being taught to fly by his mom. And I still remember it. Wow. So what I learned from that experience is that stories last. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and true stories can definitely last. And that's what's wonderful is Rita has like true stories that she shares. So it hits that sort of area. And then my short stories are just like fun um, uh, mini stories, uh, kind of like the one that I heard that, uh, inspired me. Uh, it was actually funny. My, my mom started reading the book, uh, last week and she came up to me. Uh, we're very close. So it, mm-hmm. it's not like she doesn't know me at all. And she's like, did, did you write that one story? <laughs> I'm like, yes, mom, I'm the author. <laughs> That's how it works. And she's like, it like made me tear up. <laughs> like, yes, that's kind of the hope is that it inspires and encourages. And she's like, I guess that's why you chose the title. <laughs> so it was this wonderful moment because my mom is this angelic, gentle, um, kind, she was always nicknamed Mrs. Beaver from Leave it to Beaver. Uh, she was the baker, homemaker, wonderful when I was a kid, my friends would call my house and be disappointed if I answered the phone because they were hoping <laughs> she would answer. You know, back when you actually had a home. Yes. So, yes. It was a, a short little wire. <laughs> so it was like yes. you're hugging the wall. Um, so you had to pay attention to what you're doing and not just walk around. Um, so it was, it was a great experience even with my mom reading it because she – she has seen me do, uh, I have a, a stand-up comedy background, and I do weddings and all this stuff. So she's seen me talk and present, and even that, she was like, she was surprised I wrote it. <laughs> Maybe because it was actually uh, uh, fun, like, it's, it's simpler. Because mm-hmm. I often, you know, you have the comedy background, you try to go bigger. Uh, but this was, uh, I'm a, a Christmas mush. I don't know if you are. Uh, certainly. I am, really well because I, I, I have become one as a result of living vicariously through my children um, that reinvigorated nice. the spirit of Christmas for me uh, and I can appreciate wholeheartedly what you're saying because I too am, am a, an author and a children's author and and uh, I'm very much inspired by my children they're my teachers and so they set the stage for everything that I do and going forward um, but yeah Christmas is not a great time for a lot of people which is why particularly in this this current state of pandemic and COVID. And I talked quite extensively about that with Rita. But 
what I'm starting to garner now outside of all the accolades and, and the high regard that she holds you in, and she had a few chuckles when talking about you as well, I can see why you two would be so synergistically aligned because she is such a diehard Christmas person. And that's even in spite of her backstory of once upon a time being homeless and but looking upon the lessons and the the blessings that she had through quality time, even being homeless, homeless, and it's still resonating as some of the best stories that has spawned forward in her journey. Yeah, Rita is a wonderful example of someone who takes terrible situations and then finds good in them. Yes. Which, as a therapist, is what I regularly have to teach couples uh, and individuals as they deal with depression or their partners cheating on them, is ultimately trying to find some sort of positivity in their horrible experiences, because that's where the healing is. Uh, you're right. Like she was homeless for a while, and yet uh, when I was talking to her the one time, she's like, yeah, that was like one of the best times in my life. <laughs> like, yes. <what? laughs> uh, but there is a wonderful book, The Gift of Pain, uh, that I read years ago. It like, changed the way I, I looked at life. Uh, and it said how during the bombings of London in World War II, a lot of the, the survivors said that was like one of the best times in their life because of how the city just came together and Everyone was kind to each other and took care of each other. And uh, there was this connection that you get through suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the whole point of the book of the gift of pain is learning that gift, that, that pain isn't meant to bring us down, but it's meant to inspire us and encourage us. And uh, even a couple of the stories I, I write in, in the book, they're not just all kitty. <laughs> um, they're, they're meant to be something for, for all ages. So there's a, a story about, uh, this one woman who's really struggling with having to have the perfect Christmas and uh, learning that perfection isn't the most important thing and uh, how sometimes it's when things go wrong that we make the best memories. Absolutely. Absolutely. And well, there's just, go ahead. No, please go ahead. Well, I just, I, I'm just so on fire because you're, you're hitting upon a lot of my favorite subject matters. And so when you talk about pain, as a coach myself, as a mentor, you know, oftentimes what I've come to know, not just in the working in tandem alongside my clients, but as well as for myself in the birthing and the reinvention process of my own journey, passion is not the connection to purpose, in my humble opinion. It's, it's pain because passion is fleeting. It can change based on the evolution of oneself. You know, what you're enamored by today is not necessarily what you're inspired by tomorrow. Um, but pain is very catalytic in the lives of all people. And when people figure out what they can do to get themselves out of the abyss and recognize that their circumstances aren't unique or specific to them, uh, and whether, you know, their story is one that can resonate with all um, details attached to it, it doesn't matter. We're all human beings and we all understand what it feels like on the spectrum of emotion to feel all sets of emotions, all individual emotions. And so that's the connector factor. That's what makes people resonate with you. And that's what makes the story stick out. So I've always been really focused on the fact that I believe pain is what 
cultivates purpose and people getting clarity, exceptional clarity on what it is, in fact, their purpose is. And when you can take the message forward of what helped you in your time of darkness, then you bring everyone along for the ride because you then become the walking, talking, breathing example of, well, if Chad can do it or Lisa can do it or Rita can do it, so then can I do it. And it gives people permission to step into whatever their story might be or whatever their purpose might be as it's connected to pain. Absolutely. Uh, it's wonderful that you've learned that lesson. That is, I would say that is uh, when people become wise, that is the lesson they ultimately re- come to realize. Yes. Because it's uh, people uh, I work with with depression. Uh, I, when I was uh, 26, uh, I went to a, a seminar on depression uh, and I was a youth pastor. So I was like, the goody goody and the, I always worked really hard. Um, I was working on my master's, so clearly I had my life together. Uh, and the speaker uh, said, gave 10 questions and he said, uh, and I, I scored nine out of 10. I'm like, oh, obviously, I'm amazing. Nine out of 10. <laughs> and the person beside me, lovely woman, she's like, I got eight. And I'm like, ooh, good for you. Uh, and then I like smiled to myself, I got nine. And the speaker said, if you scored six or higher, you likely have depression. Wow. And I was like, no, <laughs> you were wrong. <laughs> I have, I, I am a youth pastor. I work for God. I must have my life together. Right. And that's when my life kind of like flipped to realize, shoot, I'm doing something wrong. And as you said, uh, the passion isn't the answer all kinds of passion. I was going to change the world. I was going to do so many big things. Um, And then this wonderful song I heard recently, it said, everyone wants to change the world. No one wants to change themselves. Yes. And in that moment, it was like, oh, I need to work on me. Uh, And it's like, I never have a problem with getting up. I work super hard. Um, for my one master's program, they said, oh, people have never been able to do more than three courses in the summer. I'm like, mm, I'll show you. And I did six and I did that twice. And I'm like, look at me, I could do this. And then I realized I'm burning myself out. Mm-hmm. I'm not living a good life. I'm killing myself. Mm-hmm. And so the last 14 years has been me learning, you know, how do I actually be healthy? How do I have passion and drive without it being needing to earn love? Mm -hmm. How do I push myself without this need to um, feel good enough? Mm -hmm. And uh, I I talk to a lot of clients and it's usually like, you know, when you, how do you lose weight? Well, it usually starts with, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm disgusting. And I was a fat kid. So I was well aware um, my motivation though to lose weight was I wanted a girl. So mm-hmm. it was a good motivation. But eventually that motivation has to turn to I do this because I enjoy it. I do it because it's good for me. I do it because it's the right thing to do. And you talked about pain and is exactly right. So many young people are as parents. Uh, I'm, I have a couple of young ones myself. It's hard not to coddle our kids. It's difficult not to care too much, and we prevent them from struggle. Yes. Like if pain is a 
is a gift we need to allow. Like we need to let our kids suffer a little bit, mm-hmm. which I know a lot of parenting books would hate me for. <laughs> no, but you know what? I, I, can we just pause right there? Because for the benefit of the listening audience and eventually the podcast subscribers, what you've said is so key and so pivotal. And I can attest to what you're saying. And I subscribe to it wholeheartedly being a parent myself. Um, you know, because... Oftentimes, what I also like to talk about here, too, with my guests of each week, Chad, it's contrast, right? I mean, there's polarities and dualities with everything. And unless you have dipped your toe in the water of both, you can't appreciate the magnitude of either. So to to appreciate abundance, you have to have experienced a sense of lack. To appreciate what it is uh, to live fearlessly, and I'm all about that, then you have to eradicate yourself you know, what's the opposite of fear? It's, it, you know, it's the love. Like a lot of people think it's, it's, you know, being scared and, and failure and all these kinds of things, but it's also, you know, it's gratitude too. Like people who are coddled, people who are spoon fed, people who don't know what it is to sacrifice or to compromise or to negotiate or to have a succession of things, not necessarily go according to plan or go the way that they would ideally want it to. Well, then it makes you hungry and it makes you more appreciative when you aspire to reach the things that you claim are fundamentally and inherently important to you. Um, because then when you get the taste of, of the fruits of your labor having come to fruition, then everything, the reward in that, the satisfaction, the, the, you know, the self-esteem, the confidence, the, you know what, I, I prevailed. I didn't quit. I didn't throw in the towel. I stuck it out. And now I know what I'm capable of in terms of piss and vinegar. And I know to what degree certain things are important to me because I will go to the wall regardless. Right. So contrast is so key to understanding life lessons. And when you talk about the example and illustrating it with children, you are so correct, my friend. You are so correct, because if to coddle our children and protect them from the realities of the world, then really what we're in essence doing is we're setting them up to fail. Yeah, absolutely. Like I had depression when I was 26. Is that my parents' fault? Uh, they contributed to it in some way, but ultimately it was a gift that I had that experience because yes. then I can learn how to be better. And I even have a story now to reference. I'm like, oh, right. Whereas like, uh, I, when I have someone with depression or anxiety, I'm like, we look at what's good about having it. And one of the things is you now have an understanding of what it's like to have this, which means you'll have better empathy mm. and a connecting point with other people. And like someone who's never struggled and be like, well, why do you have depression? You're, you're weak. Or it's easy to judge if you haven't had to suffer a little bit. Mm. Um, my, my dad died of a heart attack when I was 25. And one of the best things for helping my healing journey was to recognize the best life lesson I had ever been given was through his death and having to grieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, it taught me a new level of compassion and understanding that I never would have had had he not passed away given the choice would I rather him be here or of course learn the life lesson without a doubt I would choose him being here but it was finding the the gifts that my dad gave me through his death that it ultimately helped me um heal beautiful and I again talk about it and um it's 
Whereas other people I know, it's been like 10 years and they can't let it go. Mm-hmm. Of course, losing a parent um, is quite different. Like, you know, Rita lost a son. So like that's a, a much more intense sort of grief. And you would never go to a funeral and be like, hey, what's good about this? Because um, that's mm-hmm. stupid, yes. right? But eventually that's what, as a therapist, I need to help people come to realize is, okay, that was terrible. It was awful, but it's done. Mm-hmm. And now how can you find a nugget that helps you get past it? Right. Um, and it's unfortunate because I, the, there's a group, a thing called narrative therapy, which has its benefits. You talk about the, your past and the struggle you had. And I was at a seminar for that. And I just asked, okay, so after they talk about their problem, when do they look at what, what good that came out of it? Mm-hmm. And the speaker looked at me like, well, why would you ever look at that? <laughs> Are you kidding? that's where the healing is. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was like, oh, I was like, I'm just going to be quiet because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get into a conflict in front of all these other people. Uh, but that's, that's conflict is, is yeah, good. Wanted... Conflict is good. <laughs> You're speaking to a conflict avoider. <laughs> You're right. Conflict is good. It's, it toughens us up. It helps us learn how to share and um, but it's revealing. We need to get angry. Well, it, yes. but, it's not, but it's not only that, it's revealing, right? Because, mm. you know, if we're programmed, as we oftentimes are at different uh, times in our life, like the indoctrination blueprint, you know, put up, shut up. Or, you know, mm. when, you get, when you get to an age later in life, where as an adult, and it's all about making choices, you can no longer default to, well, that was the way I was brought up, or that was the, the, yes. the generation, or that was the whatever. Well, no, when you knew, know better, you do better. And so in the age of awareness right now and advocacy and people coming forward and rallying together for common causes and and the human condition and the human spirit and all of those things, you know, conflict is is what unleashes true truths. It's 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 what it's what brings to light and what brings to the surface the things that we were once upon a time encumbered to um you know, to swallow or to keep submerged, you know, oh, you know, I don't want to rock the apple cart. I, you know, if I say how I really feel, lose friends, I might lose followers, I might lose yeah. whatever. Well, you know, if you're not in alignment with yourself, I mean, that's the problem. And so we're all in inner conflict. So to, mm-hmm. to, deny, to deny that there's a level of pre-existing inner conflict within ourselves, but then put on the false mask of interacting with other people and not giving them the gift of seeing who you really are, even if you have um, juxtapolar opposite viewpoints on something. I mean, the whole point is, let's learn from each other, but let's do it in a way that's still respectful. And if I really value yeah. or want you to value who I am as a person irrespective of whether you're philosophically aligned with me or not, that's not the point. I learn from people all the time who I have contrasting views with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It's like uh, swords sharpening swords. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That whole analogy. We need a little bit of conflict. Uh, anyway, as a, in working with couples, you know, if I, I hear someone say they've never fought, you know, as a couple, they've never fought. And I'm, and I don't say, well, there's a couple who's at high risk of breaking up one day. Yeah, red flag. Yeah, because the odds are they're two passive people who are afraid of conflict, 
don't mention what they really want. And slowly they're just going to build resentment and distance between the two people. And one of the other ones going to cheat or like one guy was bragging, you know, I had an amicable divorce. We didn't have any fights. And I'm like, Oh, I bet you're both passive people who didn't want to have any issues. So you just kind of swallowed it and went and you just kind of looked at me. <laughs> Cause that's, that's what happens. Yeah. You're right. We need to be honest. Um, when I was a teenager, I was very, very, pro Jesus and in a like a bad way <laughs> mm-hmm. I was the jerk where I'd be like I'm gonna argue you into believing what I believe uh, and then I realized giving statements and telling people things just makes them angry at you and they're not mm-hmm. you're not gonna influence them but if you ask questions if you ask them you know what do you think I'm like oh that's interesting mm-hmm. why why do you think that mm-hmm. they start being open to asking you questions Yes, And it's when you start sharing ideas, when you start planting seeds with one another. And they would tell me things. They're like, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. That is a strange thing. I should mm-hmm. think about it. And at work as a youth pastor, I had all these mostly non-church kids. So they be- it became a game for them to see if they could screw me up. And so they had all these wonderful questions. It was great because now I have all this much more knowledge that I've had to learn because I was being questioned. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I would say it's a sign of insecurity when you're afraid of being questioned uh, because we need people pushing us to think. It helps us process and have a deeper understanding. Um, yeah, so it, yeah, I'm very ex- you got me very excited. So, um, yeah, well, yeah, and, and, and the thing is, it's, you know, if you if we can't probe one another to think and delve deeper and you know peel back the lay uh, the layers of the onion so to speak as cliche of a statement that is it's it because the more you dissect and the more you purge and the more you get to the core and the essence of who we are individually right like mm-hmm. I th- the person in me honors the spirit in you. Right. So mm-hmm. because I have a fundamental inherent respect of myself, it, you know, I'm not threatened or insecure by those who might have uh, a total different disposition to me, a different perspective on life, have a different culture, religion, whatever the case may be. I mean, there's nothing that's coming to light more so than COVID and Me Too movements and, you know, Hollywood getting exposed and turn upside its head or looking back in in historical figures like Rosa Parks or Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa. I mean, you know, the people who stand for something are not the people who are prepared to fall for anything. Like you've got to be a critical thinker. You've got to be open to criticism and you've got to believe in who you are enough. So it doesn't matter if you're the only one who supports your ideology. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's also it's amazing. You mentioned people like that that are so well respected today. But yes. they were hated. Yeah, they <laughs> like were. We often forget how hated people were. Like even Jesus, and you're like, oh, he was such a gentle, kind person. I'm like, oh, no, he wasn't. You don't kill gentle, kind people. You, mm-hmm. you have people who are like, no, we have to, we got to change this. There is something wrong. Right. Uh, and then, but, yeah, but they and were even, they were disruptors, though, right? They changed yeah. the parad- They changed the paradigm on how people wanted to, as sheep, think, 
or, or behave or interact or, you know, so I love people who are disruptors. I love people who are willing to challenge themselves on their own BS. I love people who are willing to go to the wall and, and say, you know what? No, that's not okay. That's not okay to treat people like that, or it's not okay to be blatantly prejudicial or racist or, or whatever. I don't care that your childhood was immersed in all that. You know, you've got to be the intergenerational change. This is the thing that I'm loving about the times that we're in right now. It's not okay to get a free pass because you had a crappy childhood or because your parents were racist or because you grew up in like a a primarily Caucasian environment. You know, those things are no longer permissible. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And what I find uh, becomes really dangerous in our day and age is we often will hear what someone says and we just automatically want to assume the worst of people. Yeah. We don't take a moment to just double check. Hey, did you really mean that? Mm-hmm. Like last night, my, my mom was, or my wife uh, had visited her grandmother and she saw a picture of my dad holding my sister when she was a baby. And like the, the grandmother said, oh, Chad's dad was very handsome. And so my wife, I was like, yeah, you know, grandma said that you, uh, your dad was really handsome. I'm like, yeah, but Chad, you look nothing like your dad. Oh, that's nice. I'm like, oh, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> She's like, no, that's not what I meant. And they're like, I know that's not what you meant. And we right. had a good laugh. Yeah. Whereas some people would hear a, a slight like that and be like, oh, are you saying I'm not handsome? Right. And just get angry. And they're like, I'm going to get, I, I know my wife loves me and I'm not worried. Plus, mm-hmm. I'm old, and I'm not so worried if I'm handsome or not. <laughs> like, right. I don't really care anymore. When I was younger, much more of a thing. Um, it, but it's this not just assuming the worst of people. And that's one of the, the main issues I deal with when it comes to marriage counseling is don't just assume your partner um, meant to hurt you. Mm-hmm. And it, it's unfortunate how so many people are like, oh, you're trying to hurt me. And like, well, double check, ask the question, you know, was that to hurt me or did I just misread something? Because mm-hmm. it's amazing how often someone is yelling and they're not trying to hurt you. They're trying to say, I need a hug. Yeah. <laughs> it's this strange world. It's like one of the best things I learned was from prenatal class. And they're like, when a baby's crying, you want to ask, are they hungry? Are they tired? Do they need a distraction? Do they need a little bit of love? Mm-hmm. like, oh yeah. That's the same for a lot of animals. Basics. Back to basics. Yeah. How many times is someone yelling just because they're hungry or they just want to feel loved? And Mm -hmm. um, instead, we take it personally. Mm -hmm. And as you said, we need to be, you know, we need to be ready to say, no, this isn't right. And people should be like, oh, okay, let's Mm -hmm. listen. Let me ask a couple questions to make sure that you aren't um, going down a bad path. Because sometimes there are there are good profits and there are bad profits. Absolutely. <laughs> we have to help filter those through. Um, like in any, any uh, uh, career, there are good teachers and there are not so good teachers. And, right. Uh, it's scary when you start thinking about doctors. There's good doctors and not good doctors. Right. I hope I a good one. <laughs> Chad's a good doctor. Okay, so let me, <laughs> so let me ask you this then as a mar- marriage counselor, you know, what, what would you say are the essential criteria must haves for a successful relationship, a healthy, flourishing, uh, vibrant relationship? And what 
what exists in the most toxic of relationships that are guaranteed to implode? Okay. So let's see if I get the first one. Um, I would say number one rule is assume the best of your partner. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we first start dating, that's what we do. We are in a happy state. We have the butterflies. We have the uh, honeymoon effect going on in our brain. So we just, and we, things brush off our shoulders and we're so worried about pleasing each other. And then as we get comfortable, the honeymoon phase is over. We start going, it's easy to start going negative and just assume the worst. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, they're not talking to me because they don't like me or they don't care about me. When really they could, they're most likely going through something themselves. So assuming the best and then asking each other questions if there's a question to make sure we're not um, uh, in a spot. Uh, the other rule I would say, it might just be because I'm a guy, but I would say the number one rule, uh, number two rule is to have fun. Mm-hmm. A lot of couples forget how to have fun. They get so worried about keeping up. Uh, you look, our day and age, it's like, you know, when COVID hit, it's like suddenly we're, we can't go places. I'm like, oh, how did I have time to do anything before? Yes. <laughs> I still feel busy trying to keep up with stuff, but I don't have the same clubs and stuff I'm going to or sports and I still feel busy mm-hmm. uh, but first busy people always end up staying busy uh, and then it's easy to forget that we put so much on ourselves that we forget to enjoy the moment and have fun with each other mm-hmm. um, certainly when you have little kids you start recognizing we're going to be late <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they're going to fight us with their shoes they're going to fight us with their coats um, and an improv probably the best communication tool comes from improv. Uh, it basically, they have a game called Yes And. Uh, you start doing a, a scene where you both say no to each other. No, and let's go to the store. No, and let's get something to eat. No, and then we'll go home happy. And then you do a scene where you have to say yes, yes, and let's go to the store. Yes, and let's get something to eat. Yes, and let's go home happy. It's like the feel is so different. When you say yes to things, when you go with things, carry the scene on essentially mm-hmm. you make life more enjoyable but when whenever like someone says an idea and you're like no or that's not what happened it's just you feel like your back get up mm-hmm. and it, when we talk to each other it really becomes important to find ways to affirm what the other person says before we make our point because defending yourself is one of the worst things you can do in a fight mm-hmm. uh well verbally <laughs> physically mm-hmm. yes block the punch coming to your face Right. Well, let me ask you this then, Chad, because, I mean, people have, you know, people are at different places within their own healing journeys. People have different love languages. People have different triggers. People have a whole host of things. So on the surface, it may not matter to what degree you might be compatible or you share a lot of things mutually in common or philosophically you might be aligned on a whole plethora of, of subject matters. But when it comes to the intimacy of two people in a particular relationship, um, if, if one relationship pattern on one part of the, the, the party is, you know, they overgive or they overcommunicate and the other person, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, they don't even 
acknowledge you. They don't even answer your questions. I mean, you could arguably say without wanting to speculate and make presumptions, okay, well, maybe that person's going through something and this is not the opportune time in which to communicate, or they're purposely holding off and communicating because they're doing enough of their inner work that they don't want to do or say something prematurely that could have repercussions. But at what point for couples that I'm perhaps, you know, if they've come into your office, your practice, and you've worked uh, closely with, you know, when you've got one person who's completely shut down and not reciprocal in communication, and you never know where you necessarily stand, but, you know, energetically, perhaps in the 5D, you're so aligned and, and you know that they love you and you know that you're connected and interconnected. Um, but in the 3D tangible, in terms of how people try to problem solve or, or conflict resolution or things of that nature, or even just getting a simple answer to any particular question, when that's not forthcoming or that's non-existent, what do you forecast for that type of relationship? Great question. The uh, first thing I would recommend uh, is being aware that giving too much is going to push people away. Mm-hmm. or just lead to you being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. So like, I, when I get nervous, it's easy for me to start rambling. But then mm-hmm. if I start rambling, I'm giving too much, and the other side's not going to get a chance to talk. So, mm-hmm. uh, or people who do too much in the household. And like, I've had many women who's like, I am doing everything, uh, and he still doesn't give anything. And I'm like, well, stop giving so much. Mm-hmm. And like, what? <laughs> it's kind of like if a guy's trying too hard to get a girl to like him, it pushes the other side away. Mm-hmm. There have, that being said, there have been couples where I've worked with where it was just basically you need to leave the other person. Mm-hmm. They have just built up these walls. They are rigid, uncaring people who just have stonewalled. For mm-hmm. whatever reason, that uh, needs to be stopped. Now, if there is like this sort of lack of response, that's where I would want to ask the question, now, to clarify, are you not responding because you're trying to process something or are you shutting me out? And what if you ask that and you don't get an answer to that? <laughs> Great question. Then you would say, so I'm going to assume you're shutting me out. Okay. If, because if they don't respond, then you make a guess. Because if you make a guess, uh, so like my mom was brilliant. She would never ask, how are you? She'd look at me and say something like, hmm, you look tired. If I wasn't tired, I'd be like, oh, I don't feel tired. And then I would talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she asked me, how are you? I would say, fine. Uh, so making a guess, the other side will either agree, or I could have been like, yeah, I am tired. And we would discuss that. Or it's, um, you, you, you're, when someone makes a guess, your like, impulse is to correct it if it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So you, you go, you give two choices. Are you, you know, trying to process or are you shutting me out? If I just went up to my wife and said, are you shutting me out right now? She would feel attacked and be a, not say anything. But if I give the two options, something positive, like are you just processing something or shutting me out, doesn't say anything, oh, okay, so I'm going to assume you're trying to shut me out. Mm-hmm. And if she even then doesn't say anything, I'm like, okay, thank you, and then I'd walk away. Mm-hmm. I would do a follow-up and then ask again, so earlier, were you trying to shut me out or were you just afraid of saying something? Mm-hmm. So I'd want to do that check a couple times, but definitely if a partner isn't communicating, you want to see a therapist. Okay. Uh, you need that third party person that who's unbiased to hopefully help either break the wall or give you affirmation that you either have to accept or not going to communicate or you need to end the relationship. 
Now, in your experience, Chad, I want to be cognizant of time here because I want to close out with your book and how people can connect with you and buy your book. Um, but along these lines, just from wrapping up this particular subject matter. So let's say, let's say within that dynamic, one person is in fact being coached or mentored by another person. Is it in your type of line of work, which might cross over tentacle wise to coaching and mentoring. Do you know of any particular type of therapeutic uh, intervention where it would involve one person purposely going into a state of silence where it might perceivably come across to the other person as though they're being alienated or shut, but it, it, it may have to have the illusion or the optics of that because the person who's in the mentorship relationship can't go outside of the contractual understanding or relationship of, no, you need to focus on yourself right now. And it's going to, it's going to perhaps uh, conjure up a lot of confusion and a lot of angst, and it's going to seemingly be to the other person counterintuitive, and it might actually do you guys ultimately a disservice. But for the benefit of you getting to where you need to be, you need to hold true to the state of silence. I mean, do you know that in your mm. field to be a, a, a form of intervention? Uh, I always recommend people give one sentence summaries of what they're feeling. So mm -hmm. silence is very uh, damaging because it leaves too much mystery. What I have discovered that is very, a very important lesson is I'll often have one person come in and they'll say, my partner says I'm passive aggressive or those, something like that. Mm -hmm. I know the person in front of me, 95% chance is not passive aggressive, but the person at home is mm -hmm. because people accuse others of what they're guilty of. Mm -hmm. And a passive aggressive person would never come into my office and, and say, I'm, I've been accused of this because passive aggressive, you're usually more about twisting the truth. You don't want to be the, you're the victim. The other side's the bad one. Uh, and at the same time, the passive aggressive person is more likely to say, I'm fine. You're the one who needs to change. When it's a couple, when I got married to my wife, we became one. So mm -hmm. my growth is connected to her. So a, a lot of good therapy is connected to the couple as mm -hmm. well, because as you know, it's some, you do some individual work on the side as well. But when you're a couple, it's amazing how important it is the couple work together because it's hard for one to change while the other one's bringing them down. Whereas if both people are trying to change, you have a chance. And it's the passive aggressive person who is the most damaging uh, in the relationship, even though they think they're the good one because they okay, have well, this self-righteous condescending side. Okay, well, let's reframe that for a moment because let's okay so because there's a bit of an assumption that's being made there so let's take out the languaging and the framing and the jargon of the passive aggressive what if what if by your example for what you've just cited the passive aggressive person is the person who's coming forward and being completely vulnerable putting all you know when you do this this is what this makes me feel and although this might not be your intention this is still, however, for the way it continues to play out in the way of a pattern or a tendency, and it's, it's overextended in terms of, um, you know, it's not an isolated incident. It's become its own pattern. And the one person is constantly saying, you know, and, and, and talking about their own insecurities, talking about their own inadequacies as a way to elicit that person feeling equally comfortable to be vulnerable in the relationship, which might then bring about a, a healthy dialogue and if one person mm -hmm. is mirroring to the other person who's not talking 
you know, it's okay to talk to me because you're not talking to me, but in the midst of you not talking to me and me not understanding why, but I, I, I know that we have this connection and I know that you're in your own way, just wanting me to hold out and give you the benefit of the doubt that you're ultimately going to come back. And there's going to be a reunion when everything is aligned for you in the background for things that I may not necessarily be privy to. And I don't begin to understand, but if, the person who is perceivably the overgiver or making a lot of concessions or even stepping outside of what would comfortably be within their parameters for boundaries, standards, or expectations. Um, but they're doing it to show to what degree the other person can feel safe in equally coming forward. I mean, at what point in that particular dynamic, and let's say it's spanned for an exorbitant amount of time uh, where the one person feels like no matter how vulnerable they are, no matter how much they express curiosity, not making suspicions uh, or presumptions, but they're opening and they're saying like, look, can we work on this together? Can we get help together? Can we problem solve this together? And it's still falling upon unresponsive space. I mean, what do you say yeah. to that? Uh, and then that happens. I'll have someone come in, like my partner refuses to come in. So then I would often, you, you give like the, the, a question that they could use, like, uh, do, you, do you not share or communicate or try for the relationship, whatever the situation is, because you're just a bit complacent? Is it mm -hmm. you're afraid of me? Are you uh, punishing me? Mm -hmm. uh, a question like that. Other times a therapist would recommend the, the person like, oh, to get your partner in, you could say, I need to see them to help you. I need to get their partner's perspective to help you. So it's a roundabout way of trying to get the other person to, to come in to, to recognize that it's safe. Some people, well, typically guys are afraid of therapy because they're afraid of being accused that they're the bad one. Mm -hmm. um, so they don't want to come in. Other times they don't want to come in because they are self-righteous and or the person in general is self-righteous and thinks that they're fine. Mm -hmm. um, I would have been that person in my first relationship. So it, it then becomes a question that you, you need to address. Uh, mm -hmm. And even the silence, are you afraid of me? Are you punishing me? Is there something else going on? Because mm -hmm. uh, again, we don't want to just assume um, you want to kind of give the benefit of the doubt and inquire. Uh, and actually, the last story in my book is a very good story for couples. It gives us some interesting tips on it's about how Santa has uh, an informant that for Santa to know who's been good or bad. He uses gnomes. And so gnomes are placed throughout your community because they're watching and they tell Santa um, what's going on. And so this one gnome starts helping, a, coaching a woman how to reconnect to her husband. So this book has like it, stories Beautiful. that encourage and inspire. Yeah, there's like stories that teach how to have better relationships. There's stories that teach you how to like yourself better. There's stories about uh, acceptance or uh, growth of some kind. So uh, it, in, in a way, uh, my stories aren't just fluff. Like I read Christmas stories to my kids from the library and they're like, oh, it's kind of cute, but it's fluffy. There wasn't really yes. a point. But every once in a while you find a story and I'm like, oh, there's a, there's a moral to that. That was good. All my stories do have an underlying lesson. The one guy told me that the lessons are too blatant, but that's because I don't want them to be missed. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Love that. <laughs> So, Chad, I want to give you the opportunity to let the listeners and, and the podcast subscribers know 
One, where can they reach out to you? Because you you provide a myriad of different services. And, you know, so in terms of how people can access your book, purchase your book. Uh, but for anybody who wants to reach out to you for an initial consult uh, in the practice of what you are as a psychotherapist, I mean, what are the ways in which people can reach out to you for whatever they want or need? Uh, easiest way is chaddavid.ca, uh, mm-hmm. my website website chaddavid.ca there's two d's in there um is on there there's a section for books and there's a link on there that can take you to amazon to find the book uh oddly enough november and december are two of the busiest months for therapists and then february and march are the next are actually the busiest months so uh already plays uh, a lot of therapists are busy so hopefully uh people will be more interested in the book right now. (laughs) (laughs) I am pretty jammed full of clients. Uh, But anyway, the book is a free download. That's what I'm really pushing for, uh, the free, because a lot of people are struggling. A client the other day said that they just lost their job, and there's a million unemployed people right now. And I was like, well, great. People are struggling for Christmas. Here's something free. You can read it together as a family on Christmas Day, start a new tradition, uh, you can read it yourself and just get a, you know, some warm, fuzzy feelings and learn a couple lessons along the way. Um, Beautiful. The, you can read Rita's story. She's got some really wonderful lessons or ideas you could use with your own family. And then you have uh, these fun stories that I wrote. Um, and if it's a free download, there is no loss. That's so December 10th to 14th. The other option is you go to Amazon and you just type in Happy Squire. Nothing else has that title. Love it. It's a random thing. So the Happy Squire, and uh, it'll come up for Christmas stories to encourage and inspire. Uh, This will be a series in the future. uh, But uh, for now, it's it's a great start. Super. Well, Chad, I want to thank you very much for the gift of your time. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I love how we covered a, a whole host of subject matters, many of which are my favorite. And uh, you've been delightful. You've been entertaining. You've been introspective. um, And I just, I really appreciate you. So I want to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. And I want to say good luck and and continued success with all your endeavors. And thank you for what you do in the capacity of your skill set, your talents, your purposes, for the ways in which you're raising the vibration on humanity by paying it forward and being of service. To the listening audience, I want to thank you once again for the gift of your time, for tuning into myself and Chad David here on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. I'm very exceptionally clear on my purpose. My purpose is to uplift you to fear less and to live more. Until next Friday, when we're joined by yet another phenomenal guest, I want to wish you all my very best. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay uplifted. Love and gratitude to all of you and to you as well, Chad. Thanks so much. Take care. All my best. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. 
CBSRadio.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero, be your own hero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.